0: Hello, uh, I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website. Um, welcome to our review of the 2022-2023 season. I'm joined by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic and Phil Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football to discuss the season that was 2022-2023, focusing on the positives and negatives for Irish players across the last 10 months or so of football at club level. Mark and Phil, it's good to talk to you again. Uh, we're recording this before the two qualifiers that Ireland are going to be playing over against Greece and Gibraltar, but it probably won't go out until after those two games. So if you want to get your uh, reactions in now, uh, now's the time to do it, and I'll edit them uh, correctly later on.
1: Hey lads, <laughs> yeah, for things.
0: How are things How uh, do you? Uh... Good, good. Let's get started I suppose with the the biggest negative for me in the season and I think it's the obvious one. It was the lowest number of Irish players ever to appear in a single Premier League season in terms of actual players, minutes played, goals scored and the the stat from uh, last October when John Egan turned 30 meant that there was no players under the age of 30 with more than 50 Premier League appearances. We also saw for the first time, a complete round of Premier League fixtures with either 10 or 11 games and each club playing once without a single Irish player named in the starting 11. Look, we've seen numbers declining over the last few seasons. I think we all suspected that this was coming and it has been coming for a long time. But it was still a bit of a shock when it did happen. The Irish, With the Irish players that are playing regularly for the three promoted sides, Next season, we could see, I think we are going to see an, an improvement in the numbers. But for the Mark, look, um, it's a low ebb for Irish football.
1: Joe, as you probably kind of nailed it there when you put that stat out, I mean, got an awful lot of media attention, particularly from the, the broadsheets and soccer journals throughout the country. I mean, I think it goes in cycles, doesn't it, guys? And unfortunately, we're kind of in that low ebb at the moment where... An awful lot of our international players are really basing themselves in Championship, League One. And I think we'll kind of touch upon it later on in the podcast. Underage talent is now moving more from the UK to a continental European model. So, look, it is disappointing. And maybe at the start of the season, we had very high hopes. We had Gavin Bezuna, obviously, in Southampton. But we also had high hopes of Mark Travers in AFC Bournemouth. Also, Creven Kelleher, we thought he might get maybe a few appearances uh instead of Allison in Liverpool never really happened. I think of Joe Hodge as well and Wolves, just in terms of there was a topsy-turvy season with Wolverhampton Wanderers, Nathan Collins as well coming in. But again, I hadn't really materialised. Look, it's disappointing. Uh, and, and no bones about it, but hope springs a turn and hopefully next season now, as you said, the promoted clubs now, particularly Lugentown as well, maybe attracting one or two, maybe public foreign players tad to their squad. So, yeah, maybe we can up those... uh numbers and maybe get more game minutes? I suppose, Phil,
2: what do you think yourself? Yeah, I think it's it's obviously been a trend for the last few seasons, but I don't think it's something that's going to plateau over the next few seasons either. I think we're more kind of at the bottom of the downward curve now, and I think in a couple of seasons it'll be ready to shoot back up. Um, a lot of it would have to do with the makeup of our squad at the moment. If you look at, we wouldn't have a lot of players in their absolute prime 27, 28. You know, if you look at our keepers, they're young. If you look at our defence, a lot of them are young. Then you've got the older players like Egan, Coleman, Doherty. There's no one really there. 26, 27, 28. Same goes up to the middle of the pitch, and into our forwards. So I think, do you, like, just because of the makeup of the team, I think you give give it another two or three years, you will see Collins, Daryl, Shea, obviously Evan Ferguson. Probably Kelleher and maybe two or three others. You can see them becoming low to mid-table established Premier League players. I'd have no doubt. So I think we're, instead of a plateau, it'll probably, it's probably, we're probably just at the bottom now and ready to swing back up soon enough. So I wouldn't be awful worried. Like obviously, it's not ideal having so, such little involvement in one of the best leagues in the world when they're so close to us. But as Mark said, a lot of players have chosen a different pathway. So that will add to it as well. The other thing I would say is we're going to have to try and get away from ju- gauging our su- the success of our teams or how good our squads are on Premier League appearances. I think that, that day is done. Like I was just out just sort of interest. I was having a quick look through the, the World Cup squad for Wales and they did not have a lot of Premier League players, lads. They had a few, Ben Davies. The majority of that squad was made up of players from the likes of Cardiff, Swindon, Huddersfield, MK Dons, Portsmouth, Swansea, Luton, Forest who had just come up, Bournemouth who had just come back up, Wimbledon, Swansea, you know, Sheffield. So it's not the be all and end all that it was anymore. So while it is disappointing not to see big names playing for big teams, I wouldn't say it's the end of the world as well.
0: Okay. Um Mark, do you want to come in with a with a, a, a one of your negatives or
2: to be honest, I think the Matt Doherty
1: move as well from January transfer windows, that Atletico Madrid. Now, obviously, there's cultural differences. There's language. There's a new coach in Diego Simone, who has a very strict ethos in terms of vision and will not provide game as to players willy-nilly. It was arranged very hastily to kind of reduce numbers in the Tottenham squad. But again, guys, you know, we were hoping an awful lot from Matt Doherty that this would be a new chapter for him. Get away from Tottenham Hotspur get into a, a good club with Atletico Madrid really has materialised. I know he's gotten fleeting minutes towards the latter end of La Liga, but again, he a, has a very uncertain summer ahead, I would think. Wouldn't be all surprised if we see him back in the Premier League, you know, with maybe a Brentford even back to Wolves. Or For me, that was maybe a low point, number one, because I am a big fan of Matt Doherty, just in terms of his skill set, his ability on the ball, and really, from a Republic of Ireland international perspective, we need a, a very... Excellent, efficient Matt for the team to prosper. So I think that's probably been a low point for me uh, this year.
2: Yeah, I just think it was a disaster. Obviously, everyone was delighted he was joining such a big club, but let's be realistic. Spurs let him go for a reason. He was out the door on the last day of the squad to make room for players. Allegro just happened to pick him up. I don't actually still understand the reason I let it go picked him up because they never used him and it never looked like he was going to get any game time. So it was just bad for him. It was bad for the The senior team as well. We saw against Latvia how sluggish he was. He got nearly the whole game before the France game just to get minutes into his legs, and he was very poor for the first hour. It was bad, especially when you look back and you think, you know, when Kenny did switch to the the three at the back or the wing-back system, it was because we had really good wing-backs who were playing consistently, and now, like, none of them are. Coleman is obviously injured, but was in now the Everton team. he hasn't played damn all minutes this season. So it's just, at the age he is, it's it's... I just hope he can bounce back from it. I'm sure, as Mark said, there'll be Premier League clubs looking at him, but he just needs to go somewhere now where he's going to get consistent football. I still personally think he's low stopper. Like we saw it against France, he was very good. So hopefully he can just get out of there now before the end of the or before the start of the new season.
0: I have to agree with you. He wasn't in the starting eleven regularly for Spurs. We all thought that the move would be a fresh start for him. But it just hasn't worked out. He's actually played more minutes for Spurs this year than Atletico. He's actually played more minutes in the FA Cup than he has in total for uh, Atletico Madrid, which which says it all. Look, it was a short-term contract. There was always a chance that it wasn't going to work out, and that's putting it gently. He's an international, you know, his agent, Jorge Mendes, obviously has contacts across Europe. I think he will get a, a move to a good club this summer um, and look next season things can only improve for him and we really hope they do because uh we need a player of his quality playing regularly for the national side consider when you consider the, the fixtures that we have in the second half of the year okay.
2: i think he's unlucky that spurs were so rudderless this season because it really looks like they just dropped the ball with them and realized you know in the in the the 11th hour that we need to get rid of someone here to bring in someone else and who are we going to do it to and I think if he was shopped around even a week beforehand he would have absolutely got to move to the Premier League you could easily see someone picking him up there so I think he was just unlucky that it was last minute who knows there might have been an agent involved with connections in and Atletico. Atletico said yeah look we need numbers we'll take them just to make up the numbers and that was it so I think he's he's unlucky I think just just the way Spurs dropped the ball in it, I think he's, he's been unlucky. Cause he's, it's half a season gone for him. You know, and he's not getting any younger. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I
1: thought he's made a scapegoat, to be perfectly honest, by Tottenham. Particularly yeah. Conte before he left. You could hear the comments of, like, Ben Davis, Harry Kane. They've been around. They're very experienced. They were shocked. They were devastated for the loss of Matt Doherty. And really, the results didn't really pick up the day either. I mean, looking at Tottenham. So, I mean, I think, you know, it's a new season for Matt Doherty and look, I've I've no I've the highest confidence that Matt Doherty will be playing, you know, full minutes again next season. Someone is gonna take a punt on him. I think he's very well respected in the game and you never know. <laughs> Maybe Diego Simone has a plan for him. You just never know pre season wise he'll report back with Atletico. But it's um yeah, it, it's it's a big adjustment though, isn't it, guys? I mean, just in terms of language and you know, even the culture and the mindset in terms of th- th- going to a La Liga club like Atletico mid season, it's very difficult to make an impact immediately when you've an established 11 there. So I think, uh, look, I think Matt will bounce back and, you know, he'll be better than ever next season.
2: Went into a team as well that was really purring at the time. They had such a bad start to the season. You know, they yeah. were a disaster, as usual, for the first seven or eight games. And then they really picked it up like they were on a storm and run when he joined. So he was never going to get into the first team. But I suppose he just didn't get any more minutes either because he's, he only obviously has his 16, 15 maybe, and that's it. So Yeah, I as you said, Mark, and Joe, no doubt he'll be back playing first-team football. At a, at a good level, I think, as well
0: come the end of July. Let's move away from the negatives and accentuate the positives. And um, we talked about a, a terrible move for Matt Doherty going to Spain. I think we should, you know, counteract that with, by looking at Josh Collins' move last summer, which took him to Burnley. Uh, look, he, he took a massive chance going to Belgium and playing for and for a, a big club in, in Anderlecht. You know, the, the season in Belgium probably didn't work out as well as he had hoped in terms of, Trophies or, or European, you know, but what it meant was that when Vincent Company uh, came back to England to take over at the Claretts, Cullen was one of his first signings, and he was ever present across the season. Uh, he was the linchpin in central midfield and a massive part of their march to the title in the Championship. Look, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him playing the Premier League next season. I think working with. Company in two different clubs in two different countries uh, has brought his game on, and he's not the first name on the sheet for Stephen Kenny. He's definitely the first name in midfield. It's a brilliant
2: season, and I think Stephen Kenny needs to look at how he's been used at Burnley as well because he has looked slightly isolated. He just seems to not be getting as much protection, so that will have to be looked at. But yeah, I don't know how much money Burnley have, but I really hope he he you know he starts the season in the same way he started the last season as a number one midfielder. Like they have, they, like if you go on Twitter all the Clarks, they absolutely love him. You know, the players love him, player of the season, players player of the season, you know, so yeah, just a great season.
1: I concur with you guys there. It's been a
2: a shrewd move from Josh Cullen,
1: uh, really. The, the Anderlecht footballing giant of Belgium really haven't hit the heights and I mean when company left I think maybe an astute move from Vincent Company to really get someone who Has bought into his ethos, particularly in Anderlecht. So look, he was always going to get game minutes in Burnley. I think we were probably apprehensive in terms of what Burnley would produce, um, last season. No, they had a rocky start, but again, look at their form from October until March, like they ran away with championship and Josh Cullen was pivotal to that. I think it'll be good. Like Burnley are back in pre-season training already, which would suggest to me here that company, he's going to be shrewd in terms of transfer market. He will buy only guys that he feels that will elevate the squad. And I think from a Josh Cullen perspective, that can only be good news. I think he will be a fundamental part of Burnley's campaign. And yeah, I think he's one of the players to really watch here. And look, I think it's a enormously exciting season for Josh Cullen here as well. And, you know, you could look at the likes of um, Kevin Long as well, you know, from a first team squad perspective. I think it's Derek Oslo as well. I know Wells on loan for Bradford City as well. Again, Michael Obathemi as well. I mean, Burnley is going to be one of our teams that we're going to be closely watching uh next season, really, because of the guys that are there. So Luke McNally as well. How could I not forget him, given his stint with Coventry City? Does he kind of make an impact here in preseason? So look an awful lot to be looking forward to Burnley, but particularly with Josh Cullen. He's got to be first name at team sheet. I think some prominent performances here, I think, may get maybe some of the top four, maybe looking at him later on in the season.
2: Just on, on Colin, I think there's a couple of other things as well. Obviously, he links back into what we were talking about earlier about the lack of minutes for Irish players in the Premier League. Like, he is a player who is coming into his prime, clearly, in the 25-26 year old category. And he's, like, you would expect him to, to start a lot of games for Burnley next year. So that's someone who will rack up the minutes, hopefully, and bring that statistic back up. And I think the other thing as well is, Something obviously we've been talking about for the last year and a half to two years is the fact that we've so many young players now choosing a different pathway and moving abroad. But I think we have to be realistic when we look at it. The reason they're moving abroad is they get more game time. They don't get spit out as quickly. It's more of an experience for them. They have probably a better chance of getting noticed as well by some scouts. But ultimately, it all comes back to the end goal is, for most of them, they'd like to come back and play in, in England. Like, because that is realistically, it's still a job at the end of the day, and that's where the wages are. So, I think Josh Cullen is a perfect example of that. He's someone who took a risk, went abroad, as Ma- as Marcus has been discussing, played well, and then took you know, like and took his chance to come back. And I think that's something that other players will be looking at, and it's it's just a, it's a success it's it's a successful example of what hopefully some of our other players will do. In a few years' time. Obviously, if they go on to play for bigger teams abroad, it's better. But I know if you ask most players, they'd probably rather play in the Premier League for Burnley than in the Belgian league for Anderlecht, even though they might dip in and out of European competition. So I think that's a it's a it's a good story. It's a positive story.
1: Yeah, I think it was a great experience for him though. I mean I did watch one or two games, particularly in the the season that season or two that Josh Cullen was there, very competitive. I mean, even look at this season, Anderlecht finished low the lowly 11th. And for a team of Anderlecht's stature and history, that really just shows the competitiveness of the Belgian League here that, you know, you had likes of, yeah, you have Genk, you know, literally were top of the table. Obviously Antwerp won the championship ultimately. But again, there were so many quality teams here. We saw it in full effect here, particularly in the Europa conference, particularly with Shamrock Rovers when we saw uh, against an action they were a very solid side so I mean it's a solid basis here and I mean the continental European model here he learned massive from that particularly with Vincent Company as well who's learning his managerial um reigns really so I think you know it's been a good move for the player to go to Belgium but also ultimately really evolve with uh, Burnley so yeah not a lot to be excited about a positive Joe would be the domestic at the league and maybe even looking at junior soccer as a whole I mean Following the FBI Junior Cup runs this year, the story of Newmarket Celtic, uh, particularly in St Michael's AFC, I thought that was a fascinating final in Jackman Park. And really, some of the games have been absolutely phenomenal in that competition, you know. So again, grassroots wise, been very good. Also, our domestic leagues, I know they've been much maligned, but I think the promotion and the packaging this year has been very much on point so far this season. There's been an awful lot of competitive games. We've seen likes of Bohemes and Derry and St. Patrick's Athletic, really trying to put it up against Shamrock Rovers here. So I think from that perspective, and even in the first division, we've Galway United, we've Waterford United. I know the emergence of Kerry FC here, that's going to be a slow burn project, I would say. But it's good to see some new teams coming in here uh, into the first division and really kind of creating a bit of a, a vibe. You know, we see it on Twitter, we see it on the social media. In terms of maybe Kerry traveling to Finn Harps on a Friday night, you know, so the domestic league this time of year it's phenomenal. And look, I think it's, uh, I think good news story overall, guys. For an Phil, you've got to an awful lot of Sligo Rovers and also Galway United games, like yourself. But I mean, it's the fair has been brilliant this year. I think
2: oh, it's been brilliant. Yeah, like I only started going a few years ago, and even now this season, I really noticed the difference in the crowds. A difference in the makeup of the crowds. I would put it down to the fact that the League of Ireland has finally become hipster, <laughs> and it's it's and it's a good thing because you see yeah. an awful lot of people coming now who you who you wouldn't necessarily think. Oh, you go to a League of Ireland game like even this year now. Like I've brought a lot of people to Galway games and Cygo games, and they love them. Like once once you get someone to go to one, they're like, oh, this is actually all right. This is grand. Like they go into the stadium, the tickets aren't a rip off. You go and get your cup of tea for two euro. You get your chips at halftime for four quid, and like most people who wouldn't go to the League of Ireland, their match day experience would be, you know, going to Old Trafford or Anfield and getting getting the wallet ripped off them. So I think that if you, if you can get people just in the door once, I think a lot of them come back, and I've seen it this year, and it's great. There was something came out today, obviously, that nearly that attendances are way up way up on last year. So, like, as as you alluded to, the market and all that, it is, you know, you see it on Virgin now, you see the more live games, they're pushing it on Twitter. So, it's only a good thing as well. And there's a lot of you know, the serious young talent in the League of Ireland at the moment, you know, through the under-21s and that. So, that's becoming a bit of a draw as well because people now get the chance to go and see international players. People like to go and do that. So, yeah, it's 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 definitely one of the the good news stories from this season so far. Yeah,
1: definitely the underage talent that's coming through, you know, whereas before, maybe a few years ago, the medias of this world would have been dispatched long ago uh, to the UK. But, you know, the kind of getting their football education in the domestic leagues. It's really kind of paying off for everyone. And I know it's been exciting this year, really has been, you know, particularly the, the marketing and the packaging, I think, to be perfectly fair. And even... Joe, Hart, kind of made a club, Treaty United FC as well. I think, you know, really good football club there, good foundations, and um, you know, good manager, good support base down there in market field. So, look, the community spirit in these football clubs is really emerging again, isn't it? So, look, continues to evolve with social media and look on- onwards and upwards.
0: It's a good point that the, the Tenons are up. I think the average age of the teams is coming down a little bit. Obviously, look Shamrock Rovers are are playing in the Europa Conference League, raises the profile of the league across Europe a little bit. You know, we've seen players move from League of Ireland to you know beyond the UK, um, and all of which is a is a, a massive positive. I think uh, that's emerged over the last year. I suppose the next negative I'd like to look at. I know we just talked about two, a positive and a negative. Transfer, but uh, I want to have a, just have a quick word about uh, loan moves, and in particular some of the moves that probably that didn't work out as well as we had hoped. You know, at the start of the season, Aaron Connolly moved to Italy to um, to I suppose uh, a hipster club in Venezia, and we said at the time that this might be his last chance. It didn't really work out for a couple of reasons, not all of them to do with the player himself, and. Uh, after returning to England, to Brighton, uh, he went out on loan again to Hull, You know, reuniting with his youth his UC manager, Liam Sr. It did start well in his time at Hull City. He scored twice early in only his, his fourth game for the Tigers. And we all started to think that maybe this could be the, the return of the player that we all hoped he, he would be after he scored in his Premier League debut against Spurs. But injuries have meant that... Across the the two loan spells, he's only played 11 games. At 23, and having been overtaken at club level by compatriot Evan Ferguson, you'd have to think that next season really is absolutely crucial for the player. If he does move in the summer, it has to be for the right club, and it has to be for first-team football. If he stays at Brighton, he has to push himself into that starting 11, and he has to score (laughs) because... Otherwise, uh, in twelve months' time, we could be having the same conversation, saying that he's he's on his last chance and his his next move has to be crucial. I wouldn't say they let him inside the
2: door, of Brighton. Yeah, I'd say he'll be gone before preseason. Maybe he'll get a few days in there, but Deserby won't want someone like him around. Like I don't know, is it an attitude... Look, it, it must be an attitude thing or something, because obviously he has a bit of talent. We've seen it, but like you alluded to there, 11 appearances, 500... I was just checking on Transfer Market earlier on just to see the minutes. 556 minutes is what he played this season. It doesn't, there's no football there.
0: Six, we get six yeah. games, 690 minutes would be 540 minutes. So yeah. that's yeah. the equivalent of that's how of football he's yeah. played this season.
2: We've had this conversation now two or three seasons in a row, and I think... I think we we alluded to it last year. I, I think he's done, it, lads. I don't think he's ever going to amount to half of what we thought he would when he burst on the scene. I just can't see it, whatever it is about him. If I had to bet, I would say Aaron Connolly will get more minutes on Love Island next season than he would at a football club. So I don't think I'm being harsh there.
0: Could be like Jamie Tart on Ted Lasso. Started the second series on whatever the rip-off of Love Island that they had on the show was before he finally returned to play for AFC Richmond and, you know, turn things around with his, with his mentor. Can you see it with Connolly, like, honestly?
1: Uh, I definitely think he's out the door. I think he's already been told, I think.
2: Yeah, does he offer anything else? I went to see him play um, against Millwall. Middlesbrough were away to Millwall last year, and, like, he, he did nothing. Like, he really didn't do anything. You know, he didn't offer anything. So, I think maybe he's just, he's probably too one-dimensional as well to try and change his game by the looks of things. You you would like to think he's trying everything and training to impress on the manager that he's able to, to play. But, like, when you go through this many clubs and they're having none of you and you're not injured, well, then, I'm afraid, it's good luck playing at the highest level or even the championship.
1: I think he was just unfortunate. I think the circumstances, particularly going to Serie B as well, just thinking about it, when he came to that club, they were in the depths of a relegation battle. Now, you can counter by saying, come the end of the season, they got into a playoff promotion run, which was very unlikely when we saw them kind of February-March. But to be fair to him, Lima Sr. is the current manager at Hull City FC. He has relationship with Brighton Hull Valley given that he played for the club between twenty fifteen and eighteen. He knows Aaron Connolly. I think Connolly would respect Lima Sr. I'd say there's a rapport there, there's a relationship there. I wouldn't be all surprised if there's a permanent move there for him to head up to Hull. Which mightn't be the bad a bad idea here, guys. You know, they're playing they finished fifteenth in the league. They took a few scalps as well when Lima Senior was manager. So look, I think that might be realistically where he might go. Um I don't see any Premier League team probably going in for him per se.
2: A, a permanent move might sort him out, you wouldn't know I'd, but
1: Yeah, I think he needs to get away from Brighton, you know, really and truly I think. He just needs to focus on his football. You know, and I think a 2-year contract, 3-year, well, 3-year would be optimistic. I think he would be offered a 2-year contract somewhere And really I think he needs to just knuckle down and focus on his football. The,
2: um, you know. The move to Vinicius now, you can tell me if I'm wrong, or is there another way to read it? But I read it one one of two ways. So the first way is, nobody came in for him in England, and he had to go there. The other one is, clubs came in for him in England, but he decided, I wouldn't mind going to Italy for a jolly. Yeah, I'd be surprised in the Championship that there wasn't inquiries about him. But then, yeah, so, he was in Middlesbrough
1: sure. last year, wasn't he? Yeah. So maybe the feedback had come back. It, it seems surprising, you know, typically with Brighton. They would have evaluated all the options, the player, and then obviously uh, Fidencia basically came in last minute and he went, but again, the fit didn't seem to, it didn't seem to be right fit for both the player. He was on the subs bench, maybe getting five ten minutes at the start, but then when results started to unravel for the club, the manager got under pressure and then started to kind of just wield the axe, really. So I think from Conley's perspective, he was done, he was done, and Serie B from October-November he couldn't wait to get over there I'd say but look I think you know again another guy here that we hope like he has the potential guys you know I mean burst on the scene like I mean the, the skill is there I mean the the skill the application when, when it's there like he's shown it there against QPR as well for Hull City once he got the goal in that game he was just a complete different player so like the, the ability is there it's just now getting a manager that really believes in him and really kind of delivering. So I think, uh, yeah, I think he's agent and Aaron, I'd say at the moment will be considering where their next move is because it's a critical, critical one, as you say.
0: Another loan move that didn't really work out this season was Shane Duffy's move to Fulham told at Brighton that he wouldn't be part of the first team and decided to to go out on loan. You know, last season didn't really work out for him at Celtic uh, obviously, there was uh, some personal issues in there as well. Genuinely thought at the start of the season that it was a good move for him. Going to a promoted side, they're going to need someone with Premier League experience in defence. And it just hasn't worked out for him at all. He hasn't played many minutes for Fulham this season. And the positive that has come out of it is that he's decided that it's time to move on. And he's already... Uh, signed for Norwich ahead of next season, and I think Norwich will be an interesting side in the Championship for Ireland fans with Duffy, Ida, and Omar Vamadeli all in the first team. Uh, I can definitely see them pushing for a playoff place if not automatic promotion.
2: I think we all underestimated Fulham. Last
0: season, because I certainly didn't think
2: they'd be doing as well as they did. Maybe there was a little bit of that with Duffy as well, because I remember we were talking about when he did make the move. I was full sure he'd get a fair whack of minutes or maybe even break into the team, but that wasn't the case. Like Fulham were absolutely brilliant from minute one. Maybe it's a bit of a wake up call. Like he, he doesn't need to be in a Premier League team to get in the Irish team. He just needs to be playing regularly. And if he can get like, I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in an Ireland squad. Come September, maybe not September. It might be too early, but if he does get a good run, run with Norwich, he he will be back in the Ireland squad. It would be great to see him back playing because, like, he is a good player. You know, and we have missed him a bit. Absolutely,
1: and no, I agree with you, Phil. Like, in fairness, on paper, this time last year when we heard this announcement was made, I think I think we were very excited for the player, new opportunity. But to be fair to the likes of Anton Robinson, like the back four was very stable for Fulham throughout. No real significant injuries of note here, which was key. And I mean, for Shane Duffy, he was never going to dislodge the first choice starters here, even after the Liverpool opening day uh, results here. They just boosted their confidence, really, didn't they? So, I mean, I think the manager realised it, Marco Silva, the player, realised it. And I think the fact that the business has been to, done so early to get him to North City, I think is huge, you know, just in terms of the upside. I fancy them big time for promotion next season. I think just with the manager uh, that's been installed here, I think it's it's kind of leaning towards a guy David Wagner as a guy that has done it with Huddersfield Town. Again, the majority of that squad from the Premier League still retained. So I think from you know there's an awful lot of upside. The fact that there's an Irish contingent there as well, Shane Duffy, uh, Ahmed Daly, You know there's an awful lot of good talent here. Ben Gibson, Ashley Barnes. So, I mean, they're well-equipped, I think, right now to really take a claim for a promotion spot uh, this season. And I think Duffy is a leader, isn't he, guys? I think we've missed that, particularly in defensive set-piece situations when he hasn't been there. We've been caught a little bit rotten in terms of our set-piece. So, hopefully, Shane Duffy, he comes into pre-season training strong, gets his regular first-team minutes. So, hopefully, when we get maybe to September here, He's being recalled in and really kind of challenges the guys that are in the jersey at the moment.
2: When we were looking at his move, Tim like Tim Marine played thirty three games. He's thirty five. You know that was probably the outlier for Duffy. I would imagine Duffy would have been thought he would have been used a lot more for cover, maybe for him, or even broken into the team ahead of him. But like Tim Murray had an unbelievable season, yeah. clearly. So. Tim Murray was a man announced
1: for Fulham last season. Like I mean, similar they, to
2: Duffy as well. I'm sure he's been signed as a starter. So hopefully he's in from the minute one. And if Shane Duffy gets a run of games, three or four or five games, he's very hard to dislodge him out of that team.
1: Yeah. The opportunity knocks again for Shane Duffy. And I think he's going to a club who have had a disappointing championship season. Let's cut to the chase here. They've had a very disappointing season. I'd say they would have fancied themselves to go straight back up a bit like Burnley. But they really did lag an awful lot in the second half of the season. So... Look, manager was replaced as well. So now it's, um again, getting experience in that dressing room, particularly the likes of Shane Duffy, will help in no small measure. Now, granted, there may be one or two more departures from Norwich, but I think Wagner has an awful lot of contacts in terms of the championship, but also in terms of Germany, Austria and continental Europe. So they'll offset that as well. They have money in the bank. So I think from my perspective here, it's a great move for Shane Duffy and best luck to him. I don't
0: really want to lump... This loan move in with the negatives, but it's hard to see as anything other than that. And that's Teo Adaramola's move to Coventry. It started the season. We thought it was a good move. The promising fullback, you know, getting his first team experience at a club where he would be expected to play regularly. I don't think anyone really t- thought Coventry would be pushing for promotion. But look, it was nothing to do with the player himself. If there was other issues at Coventry at the time of his move and I think if he had been fully aware of them probably wouldn't have gone to the Rico Arena but he's back at Crystal Palace now and managed to get himself back in the senior team picture under Roy Hodgson. Next season I really wanted to push on and make his Premier League debut.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with you there on that loan signing because that looked like a phenomenal loan sign for the player Like Coventry City. Look at their First-team squad is fairly 10 on the ground. And also, at the start of the season, they had massive problems with their pitch. So they weren't playing an awful lot of games, were they? Um, so there was an awful lot of uncertainty there within the football club. It, it really just shows that no moves can work or they cannot work. And to be fair to Crystal Palace, realising that very quickly whipped the player out of uh, Coventry. I think both uh, teams, uh, clubs realised that it needed to be terminated. But in fairness to the player, he is a massive potential and again, it's going to be a massive, massive player for the underage set up at the Republic of Ireland, starting with the qualifiers in September. So look, we'll wonder with Crystal Palace as well in terms of a new manager. Is Roy Hodgson going to continue on? Maybe if you're progressive from a Crystal Palace perspective, maybe a new manager comes in and runs a rule over the players, particularly in the youth academy and particularly under 20s and under 23s. So maybe there's an opportunity there. It's a, it's a good one to highlight, Joe, just in terms of the case study. But same with Aaron Connolly, you know, going to a club and not working out, but again, your parent club having that support for you to whip you out if you're not getting the game in it.
0: If we kind of flip that, and we look at loan moves that absolutely worked out for the best for the player concerned. You know, just continuing on from what we said about Teo Adaramola going from Crystal Palace to Coventry, uh, his fellow Irish underage player at Crystal Palace, Killian Phillips, went to Shrewsby, and... Absolutely, had an absolutely phenomenal season at New Meadow, going on to win their young player of the season. And he's come back to Crystal Palace now with his own designs on the first team when the, the new season kicks off. There was a really good interview with him on the 42s podcast. There was a connection there with the manager, Steve Cottrell. I think that ha- helped him settle when he moved at the beginning of January, went straight into the, the first team. And it's one of those long moves that has worked out phenomenally well for, for both player and club. Sticking with Christoph a centre Jacob Ryan went out to Belgian second division side, I hope I pronounced this correctly, uh, RWD Molenbeek, helping the side uh, win promotion to the Belgian Pro League where they're going to play next season. He's not a player who's left Crystal Palace, gone out on loan. He played twenty eight times across the season for Molenbeek. He scored three goals and he's gotta be coming back to Sellers Park thinking I'm not coming back to go back to play PL two football. I'm going back to playing first team football for for my club. And as uh, you know, he turned twenty two just a month ago in May, gets the age where he should be playing first team football. We wish him the best for next season. We mentioned Aaron Connolly's loan move from Brighton, but I think we should also give a mention to fellow Brighton player James Furlong. The defender went to Motherwell at the end of January. The team was in a horrific run of form. They hadn't won in two months, and they were looking at a relegation battle in the Scottish Premier League. But his arrival coincided with a, an upturn in form at Fair Park, and they finished in a, a respectable a seventh in the league, they managed to a, a draw with Celtic at Celtic Park. They only lost four games after Furlong joined. You know, if a couple of results had gone their way in the first half of the season, they could have been challenging for a European position. Similarly to the other players that we've mentioned whose, whose moves have worked out, Furlong isn't going back to Brighton to play reserve team football after the five months that he's had playing first team football at Motherwell. I don't know if it's going to happen for him at Brighton, but, um, it's another one of these moves that has worked out absolutely perfectly for club and player. Finally, on the list of loan moves that have gone well across the season, Anselmo Garcia McNulty, the man with the best name in football, left, uh, Wolfsburg in Germany to play for NAC, NAC Breda in the uh, Netherlands in the Eerste Divisie, which is the, the Dutch second division, uh, 19 and playing in his, third country he played in Spain where he's from he's played with Wolfsburg in Germany and now experience of Dutch football you know he plays more than 30 times across the season for the Lund Club uh, they got into the promotion playoffs at the end of the season unfortunately losing out in the semi-finals he has to be going back to Wolfsburg who finished just outside the European positions in the Bundesliga thinking I'm here to play first team football I'm not going to loan again so I know we did mention that the loan moves that didn't work out. You know, it was important that we mentioned the loan moves that, you know, probably went even better than we expected.
2: Just Mikey Johnson, I suppose, like anyone who gets an international call up when they're on loan, you know, they have to be doing something right. And when I haven't seen a minute of him on YouTube playing for his club in Portugal, I did see him make 30 odd thousand people gasping in the Aviva with a bit of trickery that I haven't seen in a few years. So he's put himself right in there. In the Ireland squad is someone who can be used out on that left side and looks like a really tricky player. And it'll be interesting to see if Brendan Rodgers is come back to Celtic. Will he keep him or will he use him? Because no doubt there may be a couple of the, the Japanese lads leaving Celtic this season. Because Ante will try and rob them for Spurs. So that'll just be an interesting one to keep an eye on. What about Ireland's Tom Cannon lads? Is that a positive or a negative, though, Phil? What a lone move. He was, he's an Irish international as we speak. He's gone to Preston from Everton. He's absolutely tore it up. Two weeks ago, all I could read on Twitter was that he was the next best thing since Evan Ferguson. Ten goals in the championship is unbelievable. He's, gonna be, he's amazing. This is brilliant. And then this week, who does he think he is? Ten goals in the championship. So sure, that's nothing. Don't get a big head, lad.
1: <laughs> Which is it? The mind boggles at times, doesn't it? But he had an incredible loan move, didn't he? I mean, coincided with Breston flirting with the uh, playoffs there towards the latter end of the season. So, look, no no wonder the English FA are having a sniff here. I mean...
2: I, a, I personally think he's as good as gone. Like, know, the
1: but. age profile and everything else, like, it would suggest that, you know, the approach and everything else. He was born in entry in Liverpool. So, I think, to be fair to him, he has a decision to make now whether to commit to the Republic or to England now so but look that loan move did him no harm whatsoever and I suppose he goes back to his parent club Everton now who survived another EPL season it'll be interesting to see if Deutsch really does run the rule over Tom Cannon because I think don't think he can rely on any of these final third options at the moment given how horrific they were in front of goal this season so maybe Tom Cannon gets a few game minutes here as well and if he does then look I think I think we know where the decision is going to be made at that stage, do What
0: we've seen in the past with players who start removing their Ireland images from social media is that that's usually the first sign that they've already made their mind up. One thing I will say that might keep uh, canon with Ireland is that Everton's club captain is the Ireland captain, Seamus Coleman. If anyone was going to convince him to not change allegiance, it's going to be Seamus Coleman. Historically, we haven't done too well out of these types of decisions, obviously, there's the two big ones that everyone remembers, but also you know Michael Keane made a decision to change after he had played under seventeen and under nineteen level and you know we should also re- remember that uh, just this week as well, William Hundermark decided to change his allegiance from Ireland to Congo despite growing up here. I only he, he was born in France, but he grew up in Ireland and has played under twenty one football but has decided he's going to play for Congo instead. Yeah, we need to do something about Lee Carsley.
2: <laughs> well
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Well I suppose it's over there. He's not doing us any favours.
1: I suppose we've done the same tactic in previous years as well, so what goes around comes around, you know, so but look oh, I yeah. think for I, Tom Cannon it's a you know I think it's an important decision to make now. He's put himself on the shop window here, particularly even with Everton, I think his club future will be decided upon I would say fairly quickly I don't expect him to go back on loan again if he's moving out of Everton it will be a permanent move so I just wonder here in terms of clubs that might go in for him so look I think he's an awful lot to consider at the player so be disappointed to lose him but as you say here Joe if uh, social media posts and pictures are being removed then yeah I think that's kind of suggesting something as well isn't it so but look Best wishes
0: to the player anyway. He's had a, he has had super long move. though, to be fair to him. I'm sure we'll hear his decision fairly soon. Better look at the negatives, and I know, look, it wasn't a great season for a lot of players, a lot of Irish players, but there was three in particular I wanted to call out. It was Connor Noss at Borussia Mönchengladbach, John Joe finn Benoa at Getafe, and Ryan Johansson with Sevilla in Spain. Uh, Noss in the... 2021-2022 season, he was a regular in the matchday uh, squad for the Folds, but this season, yeah, he's regressed and is only playing in their second string side in the regional leagues. And I think it's, it probably is time for him to leave his his childhood club. um He did post recently on social media that he signed with a new agent, which is he either a sign that he's looking to sign a new contract or that he's looking to find a new club, and I think it's probably the latter. John Joe Finn at uh, Getafe, maybe not as disappointing, might be being a little bit harsh on him. You know, we have to remember he is only 19, but he did play in La Liga in the 2021-2022 season, and similar to Nas this season, he had a couple of appearances on the bench for Getafe, but didn't play a minute of senior football across the season he's still young so there's a chance that next season you know he can push back into the senior setup but uh yeah it's just disappointing um and finally ryan johansson who was uh the subject of a three-way tug of war between ireland sweden and luxembourg before finally deciding that he was going to play for ireland He moved from Bayern to Sevilla and went out on loan last season in the Dutch second division. Didn't play a lot of football, but was a a regular in their matchday squads. And This season, after returning to Sevilla, kind of had a similar season to Benoa, playing mainly for their, their second string in the regional leagues. And wasn't actually named in a matchday squad by Sevilla, which I'm a little surprised at considering that they had a run in Europe and you think that they would be protecting players for those kind of games. Three players that have been named as wants to watch for a very long time and to see 10 months of a season go by without any of them playing a minute in the senior football, it's, um, yeah, look, it's it's very disheartening.
1: Key off season for those guys, isn't it? Just to see where their futures lie with those clubs. Connor Noss, as well, because I know you've rated him massively here in the last few years. We've been doing this podcast, so look, I think for the players, real kind of honest discussion needs to happen with their club managers and their agents here to maybe get a move here that will secure game minutes for these guys and get them playing first and foremost. It must be very dispiriting for those guys with their potential and talent that they're not playing, they're not featuring in match day squads. It mustn't do anything for these guys, so hopefully they'll resurrect your careers next season
2: exactly what Mark said there I suppose it's just another it's just because you, you're you abroad doesn't mean exactly the same thing can not happen to you that could happen to you say in Britain it's easy to get swallowed up and loaned out and maybe a bit forgotten but it's a big summer as you said for these players and hopefully they can get moves into first team football Connor Nost especially because like, you've been banging the Connor drum now for a long time and, and it, it does seem like a long time since we've first heard about them so and like this season now as you said non-existent really
0: it's unfortunate and it's football and we've all been watching football long enough to watch players come through the the youth academy playing regularly for their their various underage sides and then for whatever reason just not being able to do it at, at senior level if anyone has read the book Fever Pitch or seen the film adaption of it, you all know about Gus Caesar, more talent than anyone of his generation in his area. Played for school, played for Arsenal's underage teams all the way up, played for England in 21s. But when it came to senior football at Highbury at the time, just fell short. It's not a new thing in football. It's not going away. You know, It's still very hard to, to watch it happen. I think we should move, maybe move away from from that negative, and I'd like to just focus on the the Irish players in Italy this season. Festi Evaselli and James Abanka went to Udinese, going from a relegated uh, championship club in Derby and a uh, League of Ireland club to Serie A is a massive step up. But Evaselli in particular, he seems to have managed that step up without. Any issues? He's a regular in their match day squad. Got into the first team towards the end of the season, and unfortunately picked up a an injury that meant he wasn't able to finish out the season with Udinese. But uh, James Obankwa marked the end of his first season in Italy with a, a start in the final game of the season against Juventus. When you think that a year ago he was playing against UCD, you know it's a, it's been a great twelve months for the defender, uh, and not just th- those two players, but You know, Ed McJanus went from Luton missing out on their promotion to Lecce playing for under-19 team, but won their division and will be playing, playing the UEFA Youth League next season. We've talked about the effects of Brexit at length on the podcast at this stage. I don't really want to go into it, but I think this is the first real evidence of the impact of Brexit on Irish football in the amount of Irish players that are going to Italy. And we're going to see more of that in the coming seasons. With Fasty, especially, it won't be long
2: before we see him in the senior team. I do wonder if we'd had a different manager, would he be involved in the senior team by
0: now? Sorry, just to cut across here. Phil. He was named in the squad this time last year for the four Nations League games, and he was an unused substitute in two of them. And I felt especially in the Scotland game, not bringing him on was a mistake. This is another argument that we've had on other episodes, but you know, we keep saying that the players that have been lost to the national side that wouldn't happen under Stephen Kenny. Kenny had an absolutely ideal opportunity to play Ebacelli in what in one of the four games, and I think Scotland was probably the best opportunity and he didn't take that chance. Look, I don't think that Ebbiseli is going to change his allegiance, but what I would say is that it's evidence to me that Rice and Greens would have left anyway, even if Kenny was in charge.
2: Stephen Kenny just he,
0: he likes who he likes.
2: Some of his squad selections are, I suppose we haven't mentioned Ryan Manning yet, but Ryan Manning would be another one. Obviously not talking about him deflecting or and he wouldn't, but it's just, it's hard to gauge sometimes how he picks his his squads and with, as you brought up, I genuinely forgotten Festy was involved in those four games. That's why I didn't say it. So it just shows you. It is a strange one. I do wonder, he's made a fair few appearances for Udinese this season and he has played some minutes, not a lot. He played the bulk of them in, I think, two games. Maybe he played the last game of the season. But like, would there be a chance we may see him back in England at some stage next season? Potsels they do own Watford at the end of the day, so you know we mightn't see seen the last of them in England either if he doesn't if he fails to break into that Udinese team. The fact that he featured with Udinese towards the latter end of the season doesn't that
1: tell you everything in terms of what the club in Syria think of the player? I think he'll be a regular first-team starter next season. So it's the sky's limit for him. I think it, it's a continuing, evolving situation here with Irish underage talent particularly. I think of Liam Kerrigan, particularly at the start of the season with Como. You know, unfortunately he had the knee injury, but like hopefully he comes back into the reckoning uh, next season as well as that Heffernan and AC Milan. You know, we've an awful lot of players now going the Serie A, Serie B route, and it's not a bad thing. I don't think from a technical footballing skill perspective, a footballing education, the mindset, the culture, all that sort of stuff. So I think from that perspective, I think this has been a mightily progressive move, if I'm perfectly honest, for Irish players going abroad. Best looked luck to them anyway. But uh, I think we'll continue to see it. I mean, we look at the under-17s, we look at the under-21s particularly with European scouts that are going to be looking at these guys, particularly, you know, the Israel playoff game. You can imagine there was probably 50, 60 club scouts looking at those matches. So from that perspective, it's not necessarily UK clubs that are going to be picking these guys up. It will be the French, the Italian, the German, the Spanish clubs here. So we're only going to reap the reward for it. These guys are going to be more complete football players. And, you know, we'll see it on the football pitch internationally, hopefully.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate that he did pick up that injury at the end of the season, which meant that he couldn't be involved in the two games against Greece and Gibraltar. But if he starts the new season with Udinese, the way he finished it before the injury, I think we'll definitely see him in the squad in September. Mm. Any other negatives that you want to discuss?
1: I suppose the only negative for me, Joe, would be that recent chanting that was directed at Stephen Bradley. You know, our domestic game, we really were very positive about but I think at times you have to stand back and really, really condemn anti-social behaviour of football matches, and that was a low point. So I think for all the good that I've said at the start of the podcast in terms of the publicity, the promotion of the game, that particular flashpoint really left a sour taste in my mouth. Now again, Cork City have been quick to condemn it, and the relevant fans, I think, have been um, are going to get like bans, whatever, and more inquiries there. But we should be going to football games, you know, support our team, yeah, but I mean you can't really go beyond that really to be perfectly honest and i thought that sort of behavior you were known around the world for you know our support and our good support of that stand-up support our you know welcoming vibes away from home so again with our domestic game getting more promotion particularly like the shamrock rovers getting into europe i think more people probably are looking at online globally so and it was probably a new story that did capture the nation's imagination. If it did here, it probably did resonate further afield. So I think from that perspective, it's probably a timely reminder for all clubs and soccer community to really kind of bold our ethos and football values close.
0: You know, we can talk about the the rise in the tennis and the improvements in the, the league has made in general. But when episodes like this are what comes up when people search, you know, League of Ireland, it's the kind of things that can be quite easily put a halt to uh, the improvements that have been made and Cork City have acted quickly and we have to applaud them for that but they're going to have to be extra vigilant in the future to ensure that there are no repeat performances. Coming near to the end of our list of uh, positive negatives across the 2022-2023 season, and I, I want to mention Katie McKay's performances for Arsenal and for Ireland. She's had, by any standards, an absolutely phenomenal season reaching the semi-finals of the Champions League with her club. She's got to captain her country at the World Cup in a few weeks' time. And just last week, it was announced that she'd won the Women's Super League goal of the season. She's probably the most high-profile player in the Ireland squad at the moment. You know, She's someone that any footballer in Ireland can look up to. So I'm really looking forward to her playing at the, the absolute pinnacle of the women's game in Australia. In in a month's time, she just trended constantly over the season
2: on Twitter. I think nearly everybody in Ireland who follows football and wouldn't even follow women's football would know who Katie McCabe is at this stage. Thanks to social media, thanks to like her just banging in an absolute world. There was a few weeks there where there just seemed to be goal after goal after goal. I, I genuinely think she's a bit of a household name now, which is a testament to how good she is. And looking forward to watching them in a few weeks, as Joe said.
1: And, you know, it's been an interesting season for Katie McCabe. You know, really did that transfer window in January. That's right. There was a period where she was out, she was out of that Arsenal team. Rumours started circulating about Chelsea. And Chelsea's women's team, are a phenomenal squad. Look, they won the FA Cup. They won the league again. Got very close to Champions League along with Arsenal. It really shows the stature of Katie McCabe, doesn't it, guys, that M.A. Hayes really rates... Katie McCabe massively and I mean a World Cup in Australia in July my God she will be a prominent performer for Republic of Ireland she will stand out in these group games it's tailor made for Katie McCabe to make an impact here I don't see her in Arsenal come the start of next season I think she's moving on Um, I think she's really shown herself particularly in Arsenal in that Champions League Cup run that she is one of their go-to players regardless of what the manager thought of her come January I think she's become an integral part of that side and look it's only the sky's the limit for Katie McCabe and I'm excited to see what she does in Australia on July 20th
0: We finished our review of the, the positive and negatives from the, the season that just ended with what for us and for I think many Irish fans is the biggest positive to come out of the, the season and that's Evan Ferguson this is the season where he's made his breakthrough Really at club level, other clubs are sitting up and taking notice of him. He scored his first international goal. He's setting a whole bunch of records. That means I have to research and rewrite things almost on a weekly basis. We're looking forward to you know, the next minimum, the next 10 years of him leading the line for Ireland. You know, I can't wait to see what he does next. It looks like we finally have the real deal on our
2: hands. I remember when he got his first few goals, I was kind of like, yeah, we've seen it before. He got another couple of goals. I was still kind of telling people to calm down a bit, you know. Mightn't be the be-all and end-all that we think it will be. And by the end of the season, now I'm convinced. He just looks, you know, he looks quality across nearly every game he's played. He's got the brain as well. He gets into positions. It's not like he's scoring spectacular. Well, he scored some spectacular goals, some clever goals. But it's just his movement in the box. He's like he's 18 until October. He is built like a brick shit house as well. Like he has all the attributes to go all the way. And he's blessed that he's landed into this Brighton team with like a very good manager who likes to play football a certain way and has used him really well over the season. Like we've seen enough false stones, We spoke at length about Aaron Connolly earlier on. You know, we all had the same kind of feeling when Aaron Connolly got his first couple of goals. We thought, oh, here we go. And that kind of quickly faded away. But with Evan Ferguson, I think we can all see he's the real deal. And just from even the little snippets of interviews, you see he speaks very well. He seems very grounded. And everybody speaks very well about him at Brighton. And he integrated quite quickly into the Ireland squad. And he's only 18. It's not like he's 22, 23. It's the good news story of the season for for us, I think.
1: Very exciting just to see a talent of that magnitude so early on in his career. Really blossom He's had a great club in Brighton and Hove Albion. I think of Andrew Moran as well. I think of James Furlong, as you mentioned. Joe brilliantly about his Motherwell loan deal. It's a good club. It's a club that nurtures young talent. And the fact that they have, a, I, I think, a superb coach in Deserby, You know, he's only going to improve as we go along. Now, it'll be interesting now to see how Premier League defence is definitely, uh, def- you know, They'll have tactics for Ferguson, obviously, now. They've seen what he's capable of, particularly with the six goals in the Premier League from 19 appearances, but take nothing away from the player. His physicality, his hold-up work, you know, he's great on the air, great in the deck. So much exquisite footwork for a big man. My God, it's sky the limits. As long as (laughs) we're excited, but let's not be overexcited, let's get the player focused and... Get the game minutes under his belt like we do have Greece and Gibraltar coming up here and hopefully he really delivers the goods here. But again, he's in a standout in the final third here. And look, Vadimida, we have uh, Obafemi, Troy Paris. who's a guy that you could say loan deal-wise did it really go well for him in Preston North End. He's another guy here that championed at a bit. We're suddenly getting an awful lot of final third guys here that are going to be well-capable and going to blossom in the next year or two, and Evan Ferguson no different. I mean, guys, it's it's a very exciting time. I know, Joey, has started in terms of the Premier League, the representation, but even those guys alone, it is a very exciting period, I hear, I think, for Republic of Ireland football, just down the spine of the team. We have an awful lot of underage talent that's going to really come to the cream the crop. It's all good.
0: You know, and just looking down through some of the records, that he's set this season. The youngest Irish player to score two goals in the same Premier League game, two months younger than Damien Duff, uh, the previous holder of the record. The second highest scoring Irish teenager now behind Robbie Keane with his five goals in the Premier League. And you have to imagine that he will overtake uh, Robbie Keane's record of 12 goals before he turns 20. In a season where I think it was easier for us to write out the list of negatives and then it was to to write the positives. He's was the easiest positive to write, and probably the most that we had to write about. That was our review of the the highest highs and the lowest lows for Irish players across the 2022-2023 season. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion. As Mark said, there's some clubs are already back in pre-season, so we'll no doubt have our season preview up and uh, ready for you as soon as we've read the four four two preview when it comes out. Like I said, at the beginning of the episode, we're actually recording this before the Greece and Gibraltar game. So if we won, then I'm delighted that we're back on track. If we drew, it's not a great result because now we're depending on one of France and the Netherlands to go to Greece and draw. And if we lost, well we're probably that little bit closer to the end of Stephen Kenny's time in charge. I want to thank Mark and Phil for joining me again. Always a pleasure to speak to them both about the beautiful game. Great, chat as always. Great to end on a positive note as well.
1: You know, we started a little bit off, uh, pessimistic, but given the Evan Ferguson uh, segment at the end, look, we have to be looking positive now. And hopefully now we get the results that we need from Athens and also the Aviva to keep us in contention going into September. But that's what we're looking for. New season then. And I'm kind of even thinking about the released players, you know, from various football clubs that we haven't even mentioned that are working with their agents to get a new football club for them. We're thinking of them. Hopefully new season, new opportunities for all those guys as well. But yeah, it been a great chat, guys, for play and enjoy summer.
0: Thanks guys. You can follow Mark on social media at Hawkeye Sidekick. You can follow Phil on Twitter at Philip Flanagan. You can follow me at Twitter at Irish, Irish underscore abroad or on Facebook Irish Football Statistics. We'll be back soon to review the two qualifiers and soon after that we'll be looking forward to the Women's World Cup which should be kicking off in about a month's time. Thanks and take care.